We have a fellow who has been coming to our church for quite some time now, Lal. And uh, Lal is from Burma or Myanmar. And he lost his sister in the last couple of days. And so I'd like to uh, just bow and ask God to be with Lal and with his family. Let's pray. Lord, I'd pray that you would be uh, with our brother Lal. Father, as he is a long ways away from his family, we'd ask that you would bless him with your peace and comfort and bless his family there at the loss of his sister. Father, he, he has expressed to me that with a smile on his face that she has gone to be with you, that she's with you in heaven. And we appreciate so much that kind of faith and grateful for her faith. We pray, God, that you would continue to bless uh, him and her family with great faith in you despite this loss. We pray this through Jesus. Amen. If you want to turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 1, that would be great. I'm going to be there in just a few moments. We'll look at another scripture in the meantime, but uh, I've got that one on the screen. So Mark 1 is where you need to be right now in your Bibles. And part of this is because we are in the midst of a wonderful series on prayer and spirituality. And we have talked about things like the need for prayer in our lives and in the world. Uh, We've talked about overcoming obstacles that stand in the way of us praying better and more regularly. We've talked about whether or not prayer accomplishes anything. And last week, John York, who was here, spoke from Romans chapter 8 about how when we pray, God comes close to us. And I love the way that John talked about God being right inside us. Something happens as God comes and enters with us, a, a union between ourselves and Him, to the point where we can say to God, Abba, Father, because of the relationship that we have. So this morning we are taking opportunity to continue this prayer series, and in this case to look specifically at the life of Jesus. Because Jesus Christ sets for us an example and establishes for us an approach or pattern for prayer that if we were to follow it, would enrich our lives in ways that go beyond what most of us can begin to conceive. And here's how I would describe... What could happen to us if we could learn to pray like Jesus? You'll remember uh, last week I told you when John was here, I told you about the first time that I met him and about how I went to a class at uh, Columbia Christian College. I went in, sat down with a friend of mine. I was there to visit a friend. And this same friend, I've told this story before, but this friend of mine was for years a banker uh, in Seattle long after I'd seen him at Columbia Christian College. And he was banking in Seattle, driving along a freeway, and he realized he couldn't see things very well. So he decided he would uh, go to the doctor, the eye doctor, the optometrist, and get his eyes checked. So he did. And when he checked his eyes, he found out that he had absolutely horrible vision. Like he just couldn't see anything. And, And this had been going on the eye doctor said, for a long period of time. So he was not doing well in terms of eyesight at all. Could have been in accidents. Could have, he could have killed somebody. So he got these glasses, put them on, and the next day drives again to work, and he's driving through downtown Seattle, and he looked at 
like the freeway, if you've ever been th- through Seattle, this freeway in Seattle runs right through downtown. So he's running right through down, driving right through downtown Seattle, and all of a sudden he looks and he realizes that there are things around him that he can see that he has for decades missed. And he said, Kelly, I pulled my car over to the side of the road, and I stopped, and I bawled like a baby. Because life had passed me by. And now, all of a sudden, because I have these glasses, I can see. And I wonder sometimes if our prayer life isn't like that. Like we think that prayer is something that we should do. We know that. It's important for sure. There are lots of things we should be praying about. But when we put on our prayer glasses, I think there is something that could happen to us if we were to take it earnestly that really could be life-changing, where we would stand back all of a sudden and say, I have missed everything. And we would see things that we had never seen before. So this morning, I want to look at some incidents from the life of Jesus that deserve notice. And then I want to turn to the end of his life and see some things specifically from that time, immediately before his death, that I think will show us some things about prayer. So three key elements and moments in the prayer of Jesus, uh, prayer life of Jesus we're going to look at first. And I want to begin with one that's not actually so obvious. I want to look first at Luke chapter 2, verses 49 through 50. And I've got it on the screen here. You don't need to turn to this one yet. And this is a, a case where Jesus has been doing some things. He's been out uh, with his family. He left Galilee. He's gone down to Jerusalem. And they get ready to leave and they find that he's not there. And he's been doing something in terms of worship and praise and learning. And he's in the temple. Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they didn't understand what he was saying to them. Now it's interesting, these are the very first words in all of scripture that we hear from Jesus. And in them, Jesus specifically calls God his father in direct contrast to Mary who says, my father and I, your father and I have been looking for you. Why did you do this to us? Naming Joseph as his father. And I think he draws into us maybe some kind of sense that he feels a compulsion. And I would say he draws into us, like we feel this from him, a compulsion to be in the temple with his father. And that's because that's the place where the average Jew would go to see God. If you're Jewish and you want to actually experience God, it's to the temple you would go. And so Jesus says, wouldn't it make sense that I would be in my father's house? Because Jesus clearly was having experiences of his father. Something real was happening between Jesus and God. And that tells us something about his prayer life. It was real It was authentic, so real for him that he wanted to be there right with his father, communicating in that kind of oneness that I think in one sense all of us long for. Jesus could have that. And I think it's at the place of prayer 
that we then too can experience something of this oneness with God that Jesus himself wanted so badly and goes to the Father's house to receive. Okay, then I want you to look in Mark chapter 1. And I want to read verses 32 through 39 with you. I think this is really significant. That evening, after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door. And Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you! And Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That's why I've come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. But the fact is, it's common for us to point out what's going on here. It's, it's common for preachers to stand up and say, Look at Jesus! He gets up early in the morning and he goes out while it's still dark and he prays. What the average preacher doesn't point out is that clearly it's the morning person who is most in line with God's will. So those of you who are are night persons, no, I'm kidding. In fact, it's interesting, isn't it? That Jesus himself also does things at night and blesses people at night. Good things happen even at night. Now, Jesus would be weary. He'd gone all day, the day before, working for the Father. And after a day of events and demands, the whole town shows up at Jesus' door in order to be healed. And so he has to heal late into the evening. And you'd think that that would wear him out and that he would be done and wouldn't be ready to get up the next morning. But he is. And he gets up early, I think compelled again for the relationship that he has with God, by the relationship that he has with God, because what else is one to do when you have these kinds of demands upon you? And so it's to this one that he calls Father that he goes early in the morning and seeks some kind of encouragement, some kind of blessing. But Jesus then does something interesting. And it's interesting to me that The way that after this incident, when they come to him, what he does, where does he go? How does he spend his time? Does he stay there? Does he continue to heal? Does he continue to bless all those people who are going to come to him? Because the fact is, Jesus could be staying right there. He could be healing those people. In fact, Jesus could have stayed right there and he could have healed people for the rest of his days. But he doesn't. Why? And it seems to me that Jesus has to, because of this prayer relationship with God, move on. And so God, I think, has communicated something to Christ through this time of prayer. Something about what his ministry is supposed to do and where he's supposed to go. So it seems as though Jesus is getting messages from God, learning something from the Father that moves him on and helps him to become the ministering servant that he needs to be. We need time alone with God ourselves. Just as Jesus did, if we're to make it through a day of challenges, just the way he did. 
And then after Jesus spends that early morning in prayer, he then has clear direction for his ministry. And so he can clearly say to them afterward, you know, I have to go. I have to preach the kingdom of God and go to other places. Again, he could have stayed there. He'd been encouraged. He'd been blessed. He was strengthened. He was able to stay there and minister. But he chooses instead to move on. And I think it's because Jesus received specific direction regarding his ministry. Are there ever times in your life when you wonder, what am I supposed to be doing? God, what do you want from me? I want to serve you in the best ways possible, but I don't always know the direction that I'm supposed to take. And my sense is that God wants to speak to us about that. My sense is that God wants to point us in a direction. That He wants to give us the kind of strength to do things that we otherwise could not begin to do. And this combination of receiving the kind of encouragement and blessing and strength from God, along with a clear direction about where He wants us to go, puts us in a position to minister for God in the way we otherwise could never do. And I think that's what God has done with Jesus. As a group of people trying to do the will of Christ, we need direction, and it would be tragic if we didn't pray for it. And Jesus does, I believe, pray for it, and God blesses him, blesses him richly uh, with direction and strength. Now, I want to pause for just a second and say on October 29th, a couple of weeks here, we're going to have the privilege, the blessing of a church, as a church, of stopping to think for a while about the direction we're headed and specifically to pray about that direction. And so from October 29th on through the remainder of the year, we're going to have opportunities to pray and to pray specifically about the kind of ministry that God wants us to be involved in. And I think that the, the courage that we need and the strength that we need can come to us through the prayers that we offer to God, and I think the direction that we need is going to come to us as well. So in this passage, Jesus clearly receives strength and encouragement and blessing to carry on, and he gets clear direction. And I think the same thing is going to happen to us. Now I want you to turn to John chapter 11, verses 38 through 44. This is the story of the raising of Lazarus. And it's a great moment, of course, when Lazarus comes forth. But I want us to notice some things about Jesus and how he prays at this specific time. Look at verse 38. The text says that Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor, for he's been there four days. The Bible at certain points gets really real. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So that he took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, and these words I find fascinating. Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you have sent me. Now that sounds like, of course, prayer. 
Jesus is talking to God. But here we don't hear all of the prayer. Jesus doesn't lay out for us all the things that he prayed about. There are two things I want us to see here. First of all, prayer should not should should be part of our daily fabric. And this is what I think has happened to the case of Jesus. They come to him and they tell him, Lazarus is sick. And from the moment that Lazarus is sick and then Jesus hears that Lazarus is sick, I think he's been praying. In fact, it's interesting, of course, he stays there a couple of days after he gets the message. I actually think that Jesus may be not just praying. I think that's happening too, but certainly is waiting for Lazarus to die because he wants to go and raise him from the dead. But in the meantime, you know what he did. Jesus is, it appears, praying to the Father, asking God for this great miracle. And no doubt asking for the great miracle in such a way that the people are going to be, have to respond in, uh, to this miracle. Jesus could have been there. He could have prevented him from dying. Doesn't do that. But he does want the people to experience something in this miracle that has to do with the prayer life of Jesus even. So that they can see that up until this whole time and through the incident that Jesus himself is praying. Prayer needs to be part of our daily fabric just the way it apparently was with him. The second thing is that Jesus knows that fervent, effective prayer benefits the faith of others. And they're going to see this in him. And so they do. Jesus shows to them the kind of prayer life here that he has. And when he says, Father, I'm praying really just for their benefit, he wants to display that. Do you ever do that? Do you ever pray and ask God to bless you in front of others in order that they might see? One of the things that our church is doing right now is we're going through a period where we're focusing on mentoring. We want people who are older Christians to be mentoring those who are younger Christians. We want people to learn from others about what it means to stand in Jesus. And it makes sense to me that there are times when older Christians, and I don't just mean those who are old, like me, but all of those who are experienced, especially in the, in the discipline of prayer, to pray specifically in front of those younger ones that they might see us praying. And learn then how to pray the way that we do. And my impression is that that's exactly what Jesus does. He displays for them that his whole life represents prayer. So that it's the very fabric of life for him. And then Jesus with great intentionality prays in front of those who need also to see how he prays. And so I would say, don't be afraid to pray. Don't be afraid to pray around others. And certainly, if you're parents, don't be afraid to pray around your children. And I would say pray around your children lots so that they can see that you pray. And then indeed, their prayer lives can become, hopefully, what Jesus is. They need to feed off of our prayers just exactly the way that we feed off of the prayers of Jesus. Now, those are a couple of Incidents in the life of Christ where he prayed. And I think there's some teaching there about how Jesus was praying that comes to us. We need to learn how to pray too, the way that Jesus prayed. Now, I want to go to his death. And we're not going to read these passages today. I'm not going to read John chapter 17 verses 1 through 26. I'm not going to read Matthew 26, 36 through 46. But I put them up there because I want you to write them down. You can take out a piece of note paper from the back of the pew in front of you. Hopefully there's a pencil there and a little piece of paper. 
And I want you to write these down. And I want to give you an assignment. Specifically with this passage. John chapter 17, 1 through 26. I've told you before that this is my favorite chapter in the Bible. It has been for a long, long time. And I want you this week to read John chapter 17, verses 1 through 26. I want you to write down some things that you receive from those verses about the prayer life of Jesus. What are the kinds of things that Jesus prayed for? What were his priorities? Who did he pray for? What was his focus? And then I want you to send me an email telling me the kind of things that you discovered. The, my email's on the back of the bulletin. You can find it really easily. And I would love to receive from our church this week hundreds of emails telling me the kinds of things that people got out of reading John 17, 1 through 26. Now this prayer, and, and that's what it is, the whole chapter is the prayer of Jesus, happens just prior to his death, right before his arrest. And so there are things that are on Christ's mind that I think are priorities for him. What are those priorities? What is his focus? What does he pray about? Send me an email and tell me what you found. Now I want you to read the other passage as well. Matthew chapter 26 verses 36 through 46. But about this passage this morning, I actually want to say a few things. And before I do this, there is a poem that's going to be read. I'd like to ask John Casella if he would to come. And just kind of set up for us uh, what happens here with Matthew 26, verses 36 through 46. Now, I, I will say that the poem is called, An Olive Tree in Gethsemane Speaks. We have a piece of God's creation there with the sun. Speaking about the sun being there with him. There are two things. One is... You need to know that the word Gethsemane means olive press. Okay? The word Gethsemane means olive press. And then you need to know that the Garden of Gethsemane was right at the Mount of Olives. And there were olive trees there. John? Beneath my canopy, he kneels again. But now there is something happening, something different, and this time I seem unable to provide the protection and peace he has found with me before. In times past I have soothed him, but not tonight. Tonight he cries. His friends are close, but what I feel is his separation. And not so much separation from them, nor from another, but separation from, from, from himself. What I sense is the most profound anguish. It is the pain of utter forsakenness that spans from him to me through the damp darkness. And as his creation, that now embraces his despair, I creak and groan, wishing I could reach down in comfort. 
I hear his cries, but the words he utters hardly touch the depth of what I sense his grief is. And, oh, what's this? Beneath his lowered head, my roots feel something strike the earth. Not the oil from my own weeping fruit, but something else from his weeping. It is not my oil diluted by raindrops or my oil pressed and not yet strained. It is another kind of coming together, a mixture of sadness, the mixture of a broken heart. And as the dirt begins to soften and the moistness, his pain-filled perspiration pours forth something that seeps sadness into my roots. It is like life seeping into death. We trees, we, we normally do not speak. We normally have no hearts to break, nor spirits that are crushed or pour out our grief. But what pours out from his heart, reaching into the darkness, with hope into the darkness, is as present to me as is the listening heart to whom he speaks, who shares his agony and his brokenness, but who remains removed. Beneath my canopy, he kneels again. But now there is something, something different. And this time, I seem unable to provide the protection and peace he has found with me before. In times past, I have soothed him, but not tonight. One thing soothes him tonight, to do the will of the one to whom he cries. There are a lot of things that we could say about Jesus' time in the garden. But his time in the garden is really nothing more than a reflection of who he is in the rest of his life. If there's anything that Jesus is going to do at this last moment, just before death, it's going to be that he wants to be with his father. That was the fabric of his life. That's what he would do when moments were most needed for him to show to the world who he was. And Jesus in prayer then, at this moment, and you'll see the same kind of thing in John 17 as you read this, turns to the father in anguish, in pain, and in grief. Two things, I think, stand out to me more than anything else here. Jesus will have no more time alone following this prayer. And he wants to make sure he has this time alone with God. During his life, he had to have these. He'd get up early in the morning, as we've seen, and spend time with his father in the darkness. 
And it's not surprising that right at the end of his life, when he knows he'll have no more time ever again on earth alone, that he just wants time with his father. So his life, which is so much just a life of prayer, here at the end continues that motif where life for him and even at his death is to be filled with this prayer and time alone with God. The second thing is that after three prayer sessions alone with his father, now he's ready to go and face his death. And it's interesting, after Jesus prays, he does go and he prays three times. And then right at the end of that story, before he's rested, his words are basically to the disciples, let's go. Let's go do this. Let's go to this thing that I've been dreading now for years and over which I've been in anguish tonight. And I don't know the things that you're going to face this week, but I'm hoping that at some moment when you're faced with a hard time this week that you're able to say to yourself, I can do this. I can do this because I have a life that is filled with the fabric of prayer. And I can do this because I spent this kind of time alone with God and he's encouraged me and emboldened me and set me in the direction. And I've, before others, prayed in such a way that my faith is strong and those around me can see it. And this moment comes and I'm challenged. And because I've spent so much time always with my father in prayer, I can cope and I can get through it. And so I hope that like Jesus, we can be utterly God-dependent in the challenging things that we face. And I want to encourage you to be. Now, we sometimes go to God in prayer when things are tough. We recognize that. But today I'm hoping that what comes to us this week as we pray to God is an overflow. An overflow of what we've practiced all the rest of the week and all the rest of our lives. And that we don't have to be those people who just go to God when times are tough. But instead, our whole life as a fabric of prayer does go to Him when things are tough. And when you face it this week, you can be utterly dependent on Him because just like Jesus, that's simply who you are. I hope that can happen for you. Let's pray. Lord, when we look at the example of Jesus, when we look at your example, there are things that you teach us. There are ways in which you shape us. There are things in which our hearts are molded and draw close to you. And so, Father, I pray that this week, like your son, who in the brightest moments and the darkest moments, because he lived a life of prayer, was just in communication with you. I pray that the same would happen for us. So Father, help prayer this week to be for us simply who we are. 
what we do. And at every moment, let us be in constant touch with you. That fabric of life of prayer that allows us to be strengthened and encouraged constantly by who you are. We pray these things through Jesus. Amen.